Hey everybody, welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. My name is Michael Gunger. So glad you've joined us. Uh, today's show's a fun little conversation I had with someone who's become a dear friend over the last several months. Her name is Jennifer Don Watts. And as you'll see, she's interested in 12 Steps, the 12-step program, and how it's related to spirituality. And I think that's an interesting conversation for the liturgist space. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I always like introducing my friends to you, let my worlds collide a little bit. Uh, you know, I know it's a crazy world out there right now. The world feels like it's just kind of nonstop these days. Since 2016, right? I mean, I guess it always is, but just the last several years, it feels like one thing after the next. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you are tired and feeling all of the feelings, scared, anxious, and, uh, I don't know, I, you're not alone, right? And as trivial as it may sound, here we are. <laughs> we still have this moment. We still have this breath. And that's kind of all we can ever have. And I wish I could like reach out there and just like give you all a hug because it's a hard world right now. Um, but I'm happy that we have some sort of community with each other through this podcast and through the Sunday thing. Every week we get together on a Zoom call. But I don't know, I'm just kind of rambling here, but just sending some love out there because I know it's tough. It's tough right now. Um, hope you enjoy this conversation and hope you're taking care of yourselves and finding some space for some love and some attention for your breath and your life. All right, bye-bye. All right, so we'll begin. if you need anything edited out, just let me know and and uh, does that happen? And, and I I was I was trying to make a joke like, and then I'll just like delete the message. <laughs> Where are no, we going I, with this? <laughs> the room is dark. It's purple. <laughs> What's happening? Do you want to change colors? <laughs> no, this is this is good. It was so neon-y in here, lights that. I, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's nice, right? It is nice. It's a better vibe. So is your public name Jennifer or Jen? Like, how, how, do, you want me, how do you want me to call Jennifer you? Jennifer Don Watts is pretty good. That's how they Doctor, can find me. <laughs> no, Dr. Reverend. Dr. Reverend. You could. I don't know. That might. I don't know about your listeners. That might end the episode right there. Or maybe it's good. I don't know. Dr. Reverend Jennifer Don, <laughs> Don Watts <laughs> is sitting with me in the studio. And... um. I met, I met her, what, a few months ago? How long ago has it been? Yeah, in the summer. This summer at our buddy Pete's house, Pete Rollins. And he's about to come over here and hang out soon. And I was like, is this, this is unfair to burn Pete while he's not here. But <laughs> I, I was know. like, I was going to ask him to be part of the conversation. But then I was like, I don't know if he knows how to ask questions. <laughs> This is said in total love. Both of us love yes. Pete so much. Yes. Uh, anyway, he'll come over and hang soon. But I met Jennifer at at this party at Pete's house. And one of the first things that she said to me, 
that I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> uh, we played a game. Oh, the game, right. Yes. This was like, what was the game again? Yeah, I can't remember the exact words, uh, but we got to get down. We project, I know, we project onto each other what, why. I'm a, oh, you're boring me because. You're boring me. That's what it is. You're boring me because. And then we say. <laughs> so I just meet her and we have to play this game. We're like, hi, stranger, you're boring me because. And then you just project all your shit onto them. Yes, and the best part about you was that we suggested you play with us and you looked at us and you're like, okay, I'm in <laughs> right oh, away. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Which was awesome. I was like, okay, you want to do in. this with us <laughs> and I'm a stranger. This way is great. In. So Jennifer is a therapist and not just a therapist, but like a, a queen of therapists. <laughs> is that how you describe it? That is not <laughs> how I describe it. <laughs> you have like a... A company that has a lot of therapists yeah. under you. So or a kingdom, if you will. <laughs> sure. A, a queendom. <laughs> I have three locations <laughs> yeah. in Calgary, Alberta, is what I would say. Yes. Are, are you, you're free to use my marketing language for you on your website if you need. I'm just giving you my permission. To, okay. You can describe yourself as the queen of your empire. But anyway, no, she's, she's great. We laugh. We have a good time. Um, and... She, she has a specialty um, that focus. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I've always wanted to talk about like 12 step stuff a little bit more in detail. People refer to it a lot of times on the podcast and just in life, but we've never really like focused on it at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how you've combined the 12 step model and what all you've gleaned with that, with your spirituality in particular. And that just feels like a real liturgist's, uh, space to explore. So I asked if she would come on and chat about that. Um, can you talk about maybe first, just maybe a little bit of your own spiritual history and your story and maybe lead us into like what, how did uh, 12 steps become part of that spiritual journey for you? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, uh, became a Christian uh, when I was 19. And uh, before that, my family identified as Christian, but I had, you know, a spiritual awakening experience when I was 19. And I really, um, it was a pretty dramatic change. And so before that, I'd had some issues because my dad died when I was 12. And I thought that he was going to hell according to what my grandparents believed. And I also had some really good friends, uh, that were identical twins that were gay. And so I just didn't understand how Christianity handled those things and the idea that even they were going to hell. Um, So I had some problems with it. But when I was 19, I had a friend who uh, used to be an atheist, and he spent a lot of time talking to me about those big questions. And so eventually, I, I really believed in, you know, the teachings of Jesus and, you know, as they were written, and that's a big, you know, complicated story. But anyhow, it, it was profound in my life. And so I did mission year. I don't know if you've ever heard of mission year. Uh, Was that like the, um, it was uh, Bart Campolo who started it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I lived in the inner city of Chicago when I was 20, uh, for a year in like one of the most dangerous neighborhoods there. Uh, and it was profound because I learned about social justice really early on in my Christian walk 
And I just learned early that we could challenge some of the ways that people thought about Christianity. And so uh, that was great. But there was still also just in my journey, a lot of shame. Um, I'm very sensitive. I like to be real. And so I didn't always fit in at like Bible studies when I would try to share what was honestly going on in my life. And I would get this really uh, like shaming energy, like, oh, we don't talk about those things here. We just, you know, do sword drills or whatever the kind of thing is. So um, I never really felt like I fit in uh, even, even then, even when I was quite involved in church. And so eventually I became a therapist. And um, what I loved about being in the therapy room with clients is they were very authentic and uh, I'm a two on the Enneagram, which I think you know, um, and just got to talk to Lisa, who's also a two, which was great. Um, but I love intimacy. You know, we're the intimacy junkies of the Enneagram. And so in my work as a therapist, I really got to experience that a lot more than I did at church. Um, and so then, yeah, eventually um, I ended up feeling like being involved in church was actually, I would have to regress psychologically mm -hmm. in order to fit in. Yeah, yeah. And so then I just kind of stopped going. Um, but at the time my marriage was really struggling and I was, I started drinking a lot. And so, um, I had had one client that talked about the 12 steps and it seemed very profound. Some of their stuff was better than what I was even sharing as a therapist. And so, yeah, eventually I found my way to my first recovery meeting and, um, and I was blown away by the honesty in the room. And it was different than therapy because in therapy it's confidential. So yeah, we can be that honest, but it was like in this really private space where you can't share any of this information and you know, the notes are private. Whereas in 12 step, these are strangers and they're saying things to each other that I was now giving the shaming energy. Like I was like, we don't tell people stuff like that. That mm, we used to like drive yeah. around drunk and <laughs> with our kids in the car and those things. And so, um, yeah, it, the honesty was so profound. And as I got used to it, this BS free zone, I just remember thinking if church was like this, everybody would come, you know? So yeah, I don't know if that answers your yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. And so then, and then you tried to make church like that. I did. Yeah. I, you know, I often say I, I did think if church was like that, everybody would come. And then I made a church like that and everybody didn't come. So <laughs> I've since been proven wrong. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, at the time I had a lot of people coming to therapy that I tend to draw people in, um, or attract people that, uh, consider themselves spiritual, but not religious, you know, and they were coming to therapy for, um, specifically anxiety disorders. That's the area that I specialized and, um, and I trained therapists in. And so they were there for that or depression or relationship issues, but they would keep coming back because they remembered in the informed consent process that I said that I was Christian, um, because I really believe that, whatever your therapist's worldview is, it's going to influence treatment. Mm -hmm. And so they owe it to you to share with you what their wo worldview is so that you're informed and then you can consent to the process. And so mm -hmm. I would say, no, you don't have to, um, like, I don't have to share any of these things during therapy, but at least you know the position I'm coming from and the books that I've read and what I've studied, et cetera. And it will affect the questions I ask. Um, 
And so uh, they would remember that. And then once they were feeling better, they would start asking me spiritual questions. And I just remember thinking, you shouldn't have to pay this much per hour to ask these questions, you know? And also, if the people um, knew that the other ones were asking the same questions, I thought, man, they could just start figuring some of this out together but it was confidential. So they didn't know how many others were doing the same thing. And so then I just thought I would love to, I didn't want to send them to the church down the street because I thought they would have to regress in order to fit in. Um, and I loved that they were getting stronger and becoming more authentic and real. Um, and so their defenses were coming down. And so I didn't want to send them there. And so then, yeah, eventually I just uh, thought, well, I could just start something in my living room. And and once people are done therapy, so we don't have a dual relationship, they could come. And so at first I started it where people could just ask questions and I'd pick a topic. Um, but then I realized that even though it was different, like it was like house church and it was different, it still had the same DNA as the traditional church in the sense of it being based around a personality, Mm -hmm. which was me and I do all the work and prepare. And then they come and ask the questions Mm -hmm. and it has that power dynamic, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so then at the time in my own personal journey, I had been going to 12 step for a while, you know, maybe a year, year and a half. And I just thought, this is so much better as a model for church. Like Mm -hmm. you just show up, you read these things. These are our values that we remind each other And then, you know, spirit or love or goodness speaks through each of us and we can glean something from what everybody says. It's super easy. It's one hour. There's no prep. And then we just go home and, and it's really powerful. So I, at that point kind of switched the church model over to 12 step and that was in 2012. Okay. Most of us have probably heard the 12 steps and the values and stuff, but it's probably worth reminding us. Could can I put you on the spot? <laughs> yeah. Do, they, do, do you have them memorized? <laughs> do I have them memorized? Okay. <laughs> it feels like it's going to be really boring. Like, you know, if you like gave me like some sort of prayer that you've memorized and you gave me the whole thing and I just sat here while you're like you, searching your memory. Of, could like, you recite <laughs> Psalm 23 for us? Exactly. That's exactly what it's like for sure. <laughs> like I could probably could. The Lord and you're going to start to get bored. <laughs> I shall not want. I think you, what it would be more, I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. I we think, the people, <laughs> in order to form a more perfect constitution, do establish. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. Because I've actually done that before. I was being interviewed before and they said the same thing. And it was like 10 minutes and I could just see that it was like not going well. I appreciate you doing my job better than I'm doing it. <laughs> being like, I don't know if as an interviewer you want to ask that question. Yeah. That's, thank you. I think what what could be helpful. Tell <laughs> Tell me what you think about this. Yeah. So I think that the getting the general principle that's in the step can be really helpful. Okay. How about this? Hey, Jen, I think getting the general principles <laughs> and not reciting them would be really helpful. <laughs> okay. Could you lead us into that? <laughs> Let me try. Let's try. <laughs> okay. So the first step is about admitting powerlessness. Um, and that is the only step that they say that you need to get a hundred percent on. Mm. 
So um, most of the steps are suggestions. Uh, they often say in 12-step, take what you need and leave the rest, which I loved because as a therapist, it's very respectful of your boundaries and nothing's being forced upon you. But in this particular step, they just say, if you don't really get the idea that you're powerless over something, that's like the entryway, that's your ticket in. Um, so for AA, it's powerless over alcohol. In the groups that I lead, we just say powerless over the lie. And the lie is anything other than truth. Um, so yeah, I'm curious actually, if, can I ask a question? Back? Please is do. That okay? Please okay. do. You're doing better than I am. Okay. So I, this is what I'm curious about with all the people that you've interviewed and with your own spiritual beliefs. I call it the lie. And for me, it's like this idea when Jesus says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is it setting me free from is the lie. Like I was caught in the lie, but then I know the truth and I have this clarity or I'm released of something, right? Some people call it ego, right? You know, you're caught in ego, but then when you're released from that, then you're free, you know, in your soul or to be who you really are. Mm. Um, what would you call that, that pull of the world or when you're not seeing things as they really are, what would you call that? I am better at this than you. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to her podcast. Instead of the, um, what would I call that? The way when we're seeing it, I partially depends on who I'm talking to because I'm going to try to like say, say it in a way that will resonate. Um, I think there are lots of words for it that, like you said, like an illusion. Um, I think that when we talk about ego, and this is interesting, even going to the, the powerlessness aspect of what you're talking about, my first question is, I hear that, is kind of like, who, who are we talking about? Because your deepest essence of life is not powerless, powerless. But that thing that you think you are, that illusion, the thing that you are going that we're trying to fix the world with, which uh, ego is a great word for it. Or if you're going more Christian world, you could say flesh, or you could call that delusion sin. Um, but it's, it's basically the, the, that aspect of ourselves that we identify with that we think can <clears throat> be God that we think can be the higher power that, that this little constriction of ourselves that we rely on our thinking minds and our, um, to, to make the world and it can't. Like, yeah. And so like, uh, did that, I didn't really answer your question, but well, yeah, you did. I you did. gave okay. a few okay. options like the illusion would be another great one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think whatever people want to call it, I'm fine with that. I just went with the lie because of that. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, we say by myself, I'm powerless over the lie. So even for me, that beautiful part of me that is indestructible, that is, um, you know, made of love and light by myself, that against this whole darkness and all of this happening and evil in the world or whatever you call that the illusion by myself, I'm powerless. And so that's why then step two is about 
came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could set us free from the lie. And what's beautiful about this step is it could be the power of you and I together when we combine that light against that we now have power, or it could be the power of the group in a 12-step meeting or your family or the higher power could be nature. When you tap into that, you now can overcome. And so it's this idea of we were never meant to do it by ourselves. And all of the steps, interestingly enough, start with we. Mm. We admitted we were powerless. Yeah, that's cool. Rather than I. Um, so I loved the openness of a uh, higher power of your own understanding. And, you know, a lot of times people will come in and they already believe in God. And so they think it's a debate about God. Like if you do believe in God, you can do the second step. Mm. If you don't believe in God, you can't. Um, but the truth is, is that for me, I had to fire the God of my understanding, you know, that wasn't going to work for me. And so I had to really ask myself, what is the higher power concept that I can turn to in this? And for me, for a time, you know, I remembered a scripture that said, God is love. And so I had to say, okay, like, do I believe the power of love could help me overcome this attraction I have to what isn't me and, you know, false self, ego, et cetera. And I had to watch love moving in the world. And I could open my heart and establish contact with love. And that was a lot easier for me because of the baggage that I had with the idea of God. Um, so even if people do believe in God, they still need to take time to really define what their higher power is in the step. And then you just have to believe that it's possible that it could set you free, not that it definitely will. And something about that um, is where faith is really born, I think, in this step. Um there's one thing, there's always an old timer that has something great to say at a meeting. But one time somebody said, it doesn't matter who your higher power is, as long as it's not you, <laughs> you know, so that can be really helpful too. And then the third step is where you turn your will and your life over to that higher power one day at a time. And you start, you know, some spiritual traditions talk about paying attention, but you look for that invitation and then you just try to do the next right thing. So you're actually taking direction. And some people in Christian tradition would say that's where Jesus is Lord of your life, but it's actually practicing that like, oh, this guy's climbed up into a tree. I guess maybe I'm meant to have dinner with him. That kind of a watching and taking direction, you know, um, that's how Jesus appeared. Oh, to do Zacchaeus. It. Yes, exactly. I, I, I was, I had you're to. Just... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was. I was thinking present day, a guy climbed into your tree and you had to have dinner with him. I was like, this is See, it's a wee program. I needed your help there. Thank you for jumping in. <laughs> I'm glad my Bible trivia knowledge like, yes. kicked, kicked in there. Exactly, exactly. But I just love that idea of, you know, again, because Christianity is my faith tradition where it says the son can do nothing by himself. He looks to see where the father is working and joins him. So there is this watching and looking to see what is happening around me. Oh, my friend Michael said, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? Yeah, I do. That's me like, okay, someone came. Like, I didn't orchestrate that. We've been friends for a while. We never, I didn't have any intention of being here. But that was a really cool moment where I was like, yeah, I definitely do. And I just try to do the next right thing. Um, so, I don't know yeah. if being on the Liturgist podcast is ever the next right thing. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. We shall see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. So, see, we're only at three and you might be getting bored already. <laughs> I told you. 
told you. I friggin' warned you. (laughs) I told you. You're like, do I even need to be here? Is this just you on a long, long monologue? I told you. I told you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. So how are these things as we can get into four and beyond (laughs) if you'd like as we go. But how, when you're thinking about in spiritual community or in relationship, do these things, do you, do you take these steps and apply them outside of, of groups like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, I, th- I think as we were trying to do with church, it seems like, but do you, do you also try to apply them in just like your life? Yeah, for sure. Like an example would be, I see it all the time and that's where it surprises me how much it's influenced my life. Like I'm dating someone and we were recently talking about, you know, long-term relationships and marriage, et cetera. And I just had to be honest. I said at this stage for me, because of how I understand one day at a time. And because I really do think that I don't know who I'm going to be tomorrow. Like I might get caught in the lie tomorrow and do a bunch of crazy things. But I just said, um, all I know is I can show up today Hmm. and today I'm committed to getting to know you better and being in this relationship and trying to be the best I can be. But tomorrow I might get caught in the lie. I might get caught in ego. I might tell you to screw off, you know, mm. and there is something about that. That is how alcoholics yeah. have stayed sober for 20 years. Like yeah. I might get wasted tomorrow. All I know is I'm going to get up today right and try to stay sober today. That's amazing. So that's an example of like a practical conversation that I had that I'm like, Oh, that I'm really deeply influenced by this. How do you think religious culture and Christian culture specifically is different than that typically? Well, I would say that almost every Christian I know um, really worries about much more than today. They really think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this marriage. I don't know how I'm going to handle my finances. I don't know if I can keep doing this job. Um, I'm overwhelmed by my kids. What am I going to do? So that's a lot of, that's a lot more thinking about, um, you know, way more than today. And it's not to blame Christians by any means. I think we can all get caught in that. But I've never really been taught in church. Um, all you need to handle is what's right here in front of you. And really tomorrow will worry about itself, which is a teaching of Jesus. So I would just say that it, this is a practice, right? This is something practically applying those teachings. Whereas I would say in church, it, it felt a lot more like someone would have just given a sermon on what I said and then it was like, my job was to feel ashamed because I'm not following Jesus' teaching of not mm. worrying about tomorrow. And then I would just feel crappy and then I would just leave, but then nothing would really change. Whereas this was actually old timers in AA teaching me, no, I really mean it. You can go be an asshole tomorrow, do whatever you want tomorrow. But how about right here, right now? What do we want to do with this? And then there's like a beautiful um, reading. People can look it up called Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow. Um, but it does say in that anyone can fight the battles of just one day. It's only when you and I add the burdens of those two awful eternities yesterday Mm -hmm. and tomorrow that we break down. So that's like a difference for me between Christianity and my 12 step way of being, Mm. which I think the 12 step way of being is Christianity personally, but right. I'm thinking like the concept of, of the righteous or the elect or the, 
even the concept of the church, to me, there's some aspects of how, in my experience of Christianity, dividing up one group of people as being sort of the elect, um, and all of that, that seems to imply, like we're the ones who don't worry about tomorrow. Oh. That, and then it's, and then now it's not just not worrying about tomorrow. It's like, I'm the person who tomorrow shouldn't be worrying about tomorrow and yesterday shouldn't have been worrying about tomorrow because I'm in this identified good group. And I wonder mm. if there's something about uh, the 12 steps that kind of deconstructs that, that like pulls us out of I'm the good group and actually just immediately puts you in the the bad group if there is a group. Uh, for sure. And I think... A couple things. Um, one about this like really good group that you were talking about, I think I probably have had a different experience of Christians just because I really have been around people who are seeming to be the opposite most of the time, like very ashamed and not feeling like they're living up to things and they have these teachings assigned and they believe the stuff, but they're not doing it. So I haven't really been around a lot of people that are like, we're the good guys and we got it figured mm. out. So I don't know who these people you've been hanging out with <laughs> are, but I'm like, I don't know people like that as much, but I can hear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> um, but I was interesting. Yeah. I guess when you do talk to most individuals, yeah, I guess most people do feel shitty about themselves, but I still think it's because there've been. Don't you think it's because there's been this idea handed to them of what yeah, they're supposed to be? For sure, and and almost like you should be able to accomplish this, which I think the twelve steps gets at by saying it totally makes sense that you aren't doing this stuff because they call it a spiritual malady. So essentially, it's like um, you know you can picture when you see somebody who's suffering or not living up to these teachings, like the words, I am sick on their forehead. And so it's like, oh, now we have compassion for one another. It's not because we're bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well. And I think for me, because even the word sickness can be like a shaming thing. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of like, we're not bad people trying to get good. We're good people trying to be free. We're good people trying to be free. That's nice. I like... Do you approve? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, now you're turning into Pete. <laughs> Can you ask a question? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me tell you what is actually better than that. <laughs> okay. I don't have to say it. I don't have to say anything. Say it. You can say no, it. No, no. It's fine. I didn't mean to shame you out of it. <laughs> say it. Just say it. Well, this would be kind of a, a Pete-esque thing is like when we turn it around and we're like, if we acknowledge we're free people trying to be imprisoned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, actually. Okay, that was worth it. That was worth it. See, this is why I like hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> if we just said that, then it like, isn't that shame reducing? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I think, yeah. And the, the, the truth is, is even for myself, I found that, and I don't know if this will be true for your listeners or for you, but as much as I loved the 12 steps and I was a part of that for a long time in a more traditional sense, I also outgrew some of those thinking, those teachings as well. And that those ways of thinking 
And um, that's always hard because when you challenge one group, you sort of tend to become part of another group, but then eventually you have to challenge that as well. And then you're out of that group. And so I had to leave a, you know, traditional 12 step and, uh, and realize that there were some certain things that people are holding on to Mm. out of their own fear and rigidity as well. And so like what, well, just even that idea of what you just said, there's many people who would feel threatened by that because they've kept the purity of say AA or 12 yeah, step. Right. right. And so it's like, no, 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 we don't need to fix it. There's been enough people that have come in and tried to make it better. This is what works. It works all over the world. It's worked for 80 years. Like don't mess with it. So they have this really protective sense. It becomes like a religion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, I like to evolve and explore, but not everybody's into that as yeah. much, you know, <clears throat> reminds me of this, um, sort of metaphor, visual analogy that uh, Ramdas, I heard a teaching of his where he used, where he's talking about the, the the things that we use, the spiritual technologies, the paths, the practices, are all in a way traps. Like because when you you can they can become a trap mm-hmm. for you. Um, he's like, but if you see them more like, like if it's a thorn and you have a you have one bad religion thorn in your foot, you can actually use another, you can find another thorn and use it Mm. to help pull it out. But if you forget that you're using it as a tool for that reason, it can become its own new trap and you can get that in your foot, just cram that in your foot too. Totally. So like seeing these technologies as potential, always kind of like holding a little open handedness with your, and when I say technologies, I'm t- that can also be spiritual community, I think, is a technology. Like the way that we are getting together to try to accomplish something, that's that's a technology. We're using the community. That's the higher power in that sense, right? right? Like, so if belonging to a community, a church, a spiritual practice becomes a method that we're using to unearth the lie out of our bodies, um, and we can see it and we can see it as a potential other, like if we, we could use it as another lie itself, or we could use it as carefully, like you'd use a thorn, mm-hmm. um, to dig out the lie, then it can be useful. Yeah. And I think that's where even for myself, um, I've had to make sure that this isn't my new identity, yeah. right? Like I'm the 12 step girl. And yeah. so I have to defend it. And this is the way. Um, and you know, my one friend and I would laugh because we'd always find something new and then be like this time for sure. Right. Like this time for sure, it's going to be the thing that is the answer to all things. And churches do that, right. This program for sure is going to work and it works until it doesn't. So I would say, yeah, I love again, this idea of take what you need and leave the rest. And what works for me today might not be what works for me a year from now or Mm. five years from now, if I'm still around, but it still doesn't negate the fact that it's been a very helpful stepping stone for me in my journey and still being able to hold to some of the values I had before with the teachings of Jesus, but a really new way of practicing them that's much more effective for me. Mm. Okay, so we left off at step four. Do we like how much? <laughs> okay, let me just give the main words. Okay, so step four is, this is like the super Cole's <laughs> notes, the rush version. Yeah. So step four is dealing with your resentment. So okay. most of us don't think we're resentful, but we deal with them and that. Step five is confession, which is really helpful to be present for the things that 
a lot of us have things that we thought we'd have to take to the grave with us. And so to actually engage in confession is really helpful. Okay, wait, we can pause for a second. Because okay. both of those are good. I just want to make sure we don't have to... <laughs> These are actually good things. I think all 12 of them are good. I'm just going to say it right up front. I love the way you're going to just listen and then decide. Okay. Eight, we can skip over eight and nine. Those, those, those sound that great. But, but 11, okay, 11. <laughs> I'm I'm going with four, five, and eleven. It's so arrogant of me, and totally accurate. I will gladly throw out any of the steps. Okay, okay. I love it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all pretty good. They're probably, they're probably good. I've heard them before. I don't remember them all though. Um. But those are just when you talk about like spiritual growth and personal growth, both of those like not being resentful, resentful. And no matter what kind of you don't need beliefs to just feel how resentment will just destroy your life. Yes. They say that it cuts us off from the sunlight of the spirit. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, okay. You approve I, of I, that too. I, I like the approve of that just stopping too. To approve. I'm just making sure we don't like. <laughs> Get super bored and go on for two hours. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then confession. Confession's an interesting one because that wasn't part of my um, my particular upbringing. We, we had gotten rid of the confession Catholic thing and you know, like, like as a sacrament. And I've always been curious about it. It's never, that's been one I don't know if they call it a sacrament, but a, a spiritual practice that, um, do they call it a sacrament? I don't know. I don't know. My boyfriend's Probably. Catholic. I could really? ask him. <laughs> um, but I do, I do wonder what not, uh, I think from the outside confession from my upbringing felt almost more shame inducing. Mm. Um, but I know that a lot of people use it to decrease shame for sure. And I think it's an interesting practice that I haven't seen much um, implementation beyond Catholicism or AA. I don't just don't see much confession in the world. No, there, there's so many interesting things about that. Like I think for me, one thing my sponsor used to say that sticks with me is he said, sometimes you just have to hear yourself say it. Yeah. And there's something about just me because it says admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So there's something about me hearing myself say those words out loud that is also healing, you know? But don't you think, I think that kind of confession we had as a, as a Protestant evangelical kid, there was like confess your sins to God and I would do that. But I also think there's something about someone hearing yourself you. say it to someone. Yes, yes. Because that's immediately potentially shame causing yes and you're overcoming that shameful barrier of like i'm going to tell this to you I've, I've been doing this uh we've probably talked about existential kink before have we talked about that yeah once i think you mentioned okay. it yeah i I, <laughs> I just always talk about it because i love it so much okay. um but there's a there's one of the practices in that called the fear inventory and you'll say something like I did one recently where like, because after the pandemic, I've gotten very soft. 
very soft, <laughs> which is beautiful and lovely. But I was I, like, I thought you meant like emotionally, but you're, t- you're I'm touching, touching my your belly. stomach. I'm so touching my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, you're touch, already pretty soft. How did too. you get softer? <laughs> no, Tell me more. Physically soft. Okay. Which is fine. But I, I, I'm getting back on the horse. I want to become a little more fit again and a little more healthy and some of my <laughs> physicality. And so I did a, a fear inventory that day. I'm like, what would stop me from being like really fit? And uh, the, the exercise is like, I hate the idea of being really fit because I'm afraid of, and then you write 20 things out and mm-hmm. you're supposed to confess them to someone and then like burn the paper. Um, but the confession part was the hardest part of that for sure. Mm-hmm. I read it to Lisa and that was the embarrassing part. Like I could write it myself and it was interesting. And I thought, eh, okay, I see it. Good. But when I actually had to read it out loud and be like, because I'm afraid that what were some of my things? Um, that I'll be vain and into myself or that I'll be whatever the things were. Um, that saying it was like, there was a power to that that kind of took away the the hidden shadowy power of it by just not saying it. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, when I would even pray and confess. I don't think I was as specific either when I was just, you know, trying to, I would just go to God and be like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm a sinner. I know I'm not living up to this and that, but some of these specific things that I've done that I hadn't dealt with, you know, to really own them and say them and you're right in the presence of someone else. And, you know, the first time I tried to do it, I was with this older lady who a lot of other people had gone to and it wasn't a good energy at all. And I realized in that moment, actually, that she wasn't safe. Um, she was kind of quizzing me, uh, if I'd memorized like the third step prayer and I I don't know, it was just not a good environment. And so I actually, uh, left, I set a boundary and I left and I felt like that was also a part of my recovery to not just do this step because people said to do it, or this woman was a good person. So it took me time to find the right person to do it with. Um, And the best thing was the first one that I did, I heard about this guy and, uh, he was, you know, working as a, I guess they're friars or the the Franciscans, whatever Mm -hmm. they are. And, uh, and I heard that he, I think father Tom, but that they get just so bored. Like they're almost falling asleep. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's my guy. I want that guy to hear this (laughs) list. I totally want that guy. So I found him and then, yeah. And then he just listens. He's kind of bored. He's heard it all before and it was great because it was just like really like there's no reaction and then he just shreds it in the shredder after and it's so good Ooh. yeah well what about getting the judgy one that would be yeah that would be the even next kinkier. step yeah yeah like i've done them four times now and each time it yeah it has been someone uh either closer to me and it's a lot to ask somebody as well yeah. just even the asking like would you be willing to hear my fifth step yeah um and so one time my best friend did it for me and trying to think who the other two were one was a sponsor that was like a little more judgy for sure um but yeah it just gets easier and easier you realize okay these are just things there's a reason there's a name for it you're not the first person who's ever done it you know that kind of thing Mm. yeah that's good okay sorry to interrupt you continue (laughs) number six i love that you're proving of the 12 says okay this is michael gunger (laughs) like arbitrates the 12 steps (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, six and seven, six is just being willing to have 
higher power, as you understand it, remove these shortcomings. So it's just this willingness within you to consent to the process of this evolving. Uh, seven is to ask them to be removed. Um, to ask? Uh, your higher power okay. to remove these shortcomings. So if your higher power is a community or something does that yeah. mean in that step you're supposed to ask the community yeah, yeah okay. i mean they say god as you understand god and so um sometimes they say that that stands for group of drunks you know that can be what it says <laughs> i approve <laughs> i appro- oh my gosh i heartily approve of thinking of god as group, group of, of drunks. drunks oh my god <laughs> i love that okay that might be my primary theology at this point <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and then, yeah, eight is making a list of everyone that you've harmed in oh. your understanding. Mm-hmm. And the it's connected to the fourth step because when you look at your resentments, you go through what actually happened to you. So there is this validation process. But in the end, you do have to ask, what is my part in this with the resentments? And often you see that the people you have these resentments with, you did have a part that you played in it. Mm. So they often make it on your um, eight step list. And then ninth is making amends, which is what most people are familiar with, this idea of making amends to people. And that's the one step that they say, um, don't do it without a sponsor. Mm. Because a lot of times, um, and this relates to psychology as well, but people will go and make amends for themselves, like to somehow let themselves off the hook or to feel better when it isn't the best thing for the other person. So they have this caveat in the step that except when to do so would injure them or others. And so you really have to be cautious about just like going on this apology tour and how that might actually right. hurt the other person. Yeah. Uh, so 10 step. So are those good? Or yeah. what do you, <laughs> you can stop me anytime. <laughs> how do you tone, feel about those? The tone of your voice <laughs> said so much. It wasn't, you didn't actually care if I thought it was good, but you now were, you were, ask questions. you were throwing now, me a bone. Now I'm, now and I'm I appreciate it. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. No, I don't need to grab the bone and run away. Um, is that what, what is, I don't know if I just, uh, what, what the, the phrase throw them a bone means, but I pictured yeah. myself as a dog. What is throw? I don't know. I'm just acknowledging <laughs> okay. that I may have just butchered the. Um, yeah. And then the 10th step is just where you continue to take personal inventory. So it's like going through the first nine in a shorter form, which is good. It's like a, uh, they say to just keep cleaning your side of the street kind of a process. So just like keep doing it. Yeah. Keep doing it. And, and it says, and when we were wrong, keep inventory. What does it, yeah, what does it mean? yeah. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So it, I mean, it's some people do it at the end of their day and that's another thing hmm. from other faith traditions to look at your day. Um, I think for myself, especially this idea of when I'm wrong, just dealing with it in the moment. And, uh, another thing my sponsor used to say is, um, when the great spirit tells you to move, you move your ass. <laughs> so if I feel that prompting to kind of apologize or make things right, I don't procrastinate in the way that I used to or defend against it. I just try to clear the air. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that one? Do, how does that relate to your yeah, spiritual that's practice? That's what I was just trying yeah, to do. I, I was just trying to some. translate it. Yeah. Um, because I, I could see it becoming a shamey thing easily. That's what I wouldn't like about it. What I would like about it is noticing patterns that are happening so that if I notice that 
and I'm that I get cranky every day two hours after lunch or whatever. Maybe tomorrow I'll be more likely to be mindful that it's that time, like establishing more consciousness about the patterns that were, that's because in that taking inventory, you're thinking about yesterday. You're thinking about the past. You're going, and what didn't I do right and wrong? And that's very tricky territory because now you're in this right and wrong Mm -hmm. past judgy inherently. That's what you're doing. You're judging the past. Uh, But if you're using that as a thorn (laughs) to pull out unconscious patterns, I like it. Yeah. And for me, it is in the day. It's like that just living in today. So I am paying attention in the day. The more complex part of the 10 step is you look for fear, um, dishonesty, selfishness, or resentment. So you're kind of aware of when it crops up and there's this process where you'll tell someone and there's a few different things that you do. But what I like about that one is when I'm resentful in the moment, I can call someone and I usually call a 12-step friend and we talk it out and then it's dealt with right in the moment. So it doesn't become something yeah. that I hang on to for a while. So I like it because it feels it feels more clean. And I would say just in knowing you, I think that's a great thing about your ability and, and that's why I'm curious how you do it. Um, but it just feels like there's nothing weird left unsaid or we can clear the air really easily and yeah. then it just feels clean so that's what the 10 step feels like for me it just doesn't allow all the other stuff to build mm, um, i like that that's it i love the, the keeping your side of the street clean that makes a lot of sense to me i don't know, necessarily know how that's related to inventory when i think of inventory i'm thinking of like think okay if you're just okay a, a now inventory yes, of what's built up inventory. now. Yeah, okay. like what's like on that. your street right now. Yeah, okay. You got some good stuff on your street. Did some, did I some like that. gum get All spit right. out? Let's erase, just get rid of it. Erase everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good because I love what you're saying because I think these are the ways that things can get twisted, yeah. right? It's very easy to become... It's even easy with the 12 steps like for people who do this exactly the way that the big book says, or they do this inventory at night. And then there's this thing in the big book about upon awakening, here's what we do. The people who get really rigid with that, there's this thing. Okay. So there's this thing when you're picking out a sponsor that they say, find somebody who's got what you want and then ask them how they got it. You Mm -hmm. know, but my one sponsor, she was so great. Um, when people were really rigid like this, she would go, I don't want what they've got, yeah, you know? And right. so it can get twisted. So I think it is good to really acknowledge Ooh, how, good, yeah. yeah, then then that's just caught in the lie too, the 12 steps. I'm always fascinated by this, even like spiritual teachers that people, or, or people that they're willing to hear from, because I think we're, we like each other's pain and we like seeing people suffer. I don't know if most people know that about themselves, but you do look at the movies you watch. It's never about <laughs> a guy who's just got it all together and doesn't face any problems. Like we like, Ooh, look at that must be horrible. Like we like seeing that in each other, but, um, where was I going with that? Oh, the people that we often follow and like listen to their advice, read their books are, we don't think of that. Like, do I actually want the kind of life that they're living? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we take their advice and we take as because we like their personality or they're charismatic or they're, we really empathize with them. Like, Oh wow. And they said, and I think that's a, a great realization. Like if I'm going to take something that they're handing me, is that 
is that what I want? Is yeah. That- do I want the end result? And what does the end <laughs> result look like? Cause that's what happened to me. Like even, you know, when I was a lot younger, I would hear these great speakers and, um, they really affected my life in profound ways. Um, but then later I got to meet some of them and I was like, Oh shit. Like he's kind of a dick. Like, do I, do I want to be like that? I don't think so. So that really influenced me in terms of what does the downward journey look like? What do I have to give up in order to go on that journey? Um, when is my ego getting involved? And I think for me, even still, um, like now when I attend meetings, even the ones that I started, I just attend as a regular attendee. Like I, I'm, I really am the real deal addict. Like I really am. And for me, my drugs of choice are codependency. Like I can become very codependent, um, food for sure. Like give me food and a television and I can just numb out like (laughs) for sure. And, um, love addiction. Like I'm drawn to people who are love avoidance. And so, um, I have to work this stuff in my own life and, um, And so, yeah, I think for me, remembering that I'm showing up today because I'm an addict and because this really helps me, not because this is some sort of brand or anything like that. It's, it's a daily practice for me, but yeah, I don't, and I don't know that people will want what I have either in their lives. And I think that's why take what you need and Mm. leave the rest is so important. Yeah. I could make a really funny edit of that because you said, I'm the real deal in a way. <laughs> if I cut off the attic part after the end, I could have made a good edit right there. Yeah, totally. Now you can say, do you want what she has? I don't think so. I'm the real deal. <laughs> All right, was that step nine? Yeah, okay. We're almost there. Oh yeah, 10. We did 10. 10. That was the inventory one. Okay. 11 is just prayer and meditation, conscious contact with your higher power. Okay. Do you approve of that? I approve. Okay. <laughs> and then the 12th step is carrying the message, is just sharing with others what your experience, strength, and hope is. Is that a marketing plan for the 12 step program? <laughs> you know, you would think, you would think. The fi- the 12 step is so interesting because it's the one when you are working with another addict there, they say it's the one that works when everything else fails. So if an alcoholic can't stay sober, but they get a chance to work with another alcoholic and they've got like a couple of days sobriety under their belt, that will help them stay sober better than anything else. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to immediately go to my evangelical, like share the gospel you know, imperative that I was handed and be like, have a little bit, a little bit of with it, but, and, and just particularly where I'm at right now, this was, I was going to share this before uh, we started recording when I was setting up, I was like, let me try to remember that for later. Uh, Here it is. Now it's later, but I've been, she asked how much I, I record my other podcast. um, Loving this. And I was like, lately I haven't been doing much of it. And I feel like I'm going through this, internal deconstruction of what this sharing with others things means to me. I faced it. I did a, I had a similar experience with music after 20 in 2016. I had a, that's like my biggest spiritual awakening kind of event happened in 2016. And, uh, after that for a little while music, I didn't know how to make music anymore because not that I didn't know how, I didn't care because mm. the thing that had been for so much of my life 
impelling me to make music, which is like this unconscious need to be special. I mean, it was conscious too, but it was like this drive to be like, I can be special in the world. I can be loved if I make the best record possible, if I make the most amazing song or whatever. Like that was, there was a, a fear and a, and a, a lack it did work at the though. Heart of- I did love you when you made the most amazing song. I'm not going to lie. It, it actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked maybe on the outside, but right. it didn't work on the inside. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like I got the accolades that I thought that would solve it. And then it didn't do what I thought it would do. Exactly. And then that, that left me at this. That's kind of what, led a lot of that was what was led to that moment in 2016 of like letting go. And then, uh, but then for a little while there was a transitional period where I did not know how to make me, I didn't, I didn't have since that fear wasn't driving it anymore. I was like, I don't need to make music. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's the same thing for me when I, when I realized about the speaking thing, when I was like, oh, I don't have the same desire and I see where it goes. I I was kind of like, well, then what's the point? Right. Why am I doing it now? If I don't, and if I, if I'm not driven by ego and I feel full and everything, like, do I still want to do this? Why do I want to do this? What's behind it? And it takes time. It takes time. Yeah. To really clarify and to like you, it is like a breakup almost. You need time, a period of like that letting go of just nothing. Right. Yes. So I, and I had that musically and then eventually I started just making music again because I love making music. Exactly. Exactly. It's and I love part of me. hearing part... the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But that's where I've been at for a little while with like talking about spirituality my, my, um, like just from after that awakening moment, I couldn't, I wanted to do nothing but talk about it. I was like this, this like letting go to this moment has so radically and drastically changed my experience Mm -hmm. of life. How could I not want to tell everybody about this? Yes. And that, and there's a few things in there. I think like the spiritual awakening piece for me um, for sure. I just, I had an experience just like I had when I was 19, when I was doing these steps and I was so much more free and I was so scared of doing the steps for so long. Like it's one thing, a lot of people talk about the 12 steps. Very few people actually do the 12 steps except mm. for people who are seriously addicts or right. alcoholics. It's destroying and so, their lives. And, yeah. yeah. So it's like, actually doing them and realizing I could face these things and go through this process and what happens as the result of it. Like it says, as the result of these steps, we experience this awakening, right? So you have to do them. And when I did that, it was huge. Um, and that's why I wanted to share it with other people. I thought, you know, it is a fundamentally de-shaming experience to go through them. So I think it's that excitement. Um, and also, um, there is something about getting the opportunity to talk about this with you rather than the million other things I could be doing with my day that reminds me too, like you're helping me stay sober, they would mm. say, right? So it, it is selfish in a certain sense, yeah. the, the chances I get to talk about it. When you get to tell me what you experienced in 2016, share that with me, it reminds you, right? Like you're more in the moment, you're more in that space than if you were doing something else. So it does help us, I think, to get to share it. Yeah. And I think I'll get back to, I, I like, I recorded a podcast the other day for loving this 
and then I listened to it and I just like, what? Why am I? <laughs> I just didn't care. I because yeah. because lately there was still even after my there there's an aspect of the sharing wanting to share that is just love, but often I think there's a shadow to it. And for me, there was definitely a sh- an unconscious shadow that that still had haunted me from my evangelicalism and good boyness of like uh, that the right thing to do is to share. Yeah. Is to, and so that's been dying for me. And so that some of the gas that has impelled me to share in the past is gone um, or di- leaving right now, which does leave me a lot of times with not quite the motivation to finish recording a podcast that I have that I think is beautiful, but I'm just kind of like, I, I don't have anything to say because I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, yeah. uh, but not that I don't care about life. I don't care about trying to fix anybody anymore. That for me, that was kind of the, I used to try to fix the world in, in more codependent ways. And, and that has been kind of dying. of it. So it's just interesting. The ebb and flow for me, I, d- I don't have a lot of, um, I'm not, a lot of passion about like sharing my thoughts with the world right now. Um, but I imagine eventually I'll remember that I just do like hearing myself talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, for me, I go through the same process. Like for me, when I started my podcast, I mean, I'm a single mom, I'm a CEO, like my life is really busy anyway. So I don't know that I had tons of bandwidth, but originally there was still those messages of like, well, you should record or it should come out weekly or you should keep up with this or you should do it, et cetera. And like, I was just like, you know what? I really want to try to live again, this 12 step life that I'm talking about one day at a time. And if the moment arises where it makes sense and I have something to say and it feels right, I want to do it. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I have to let go and I have to accept that. And so the last one that I recorded was like, it's been, I don't know, 10 months or something. And I get these messages from people like, are you putting out more? Are you doing this or that? And, um, it's hard for me to fight against that, like societal pressure even of like, well, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, So for me to make anything now, I really have to work again, this, what I call my own spiritual program, um, and stick with that regardless of whatever's happening around me. And maybe there'll never be another episode, or maybe I'll do 30 for season three. I don't really know, you know, and then it it has led to me doing some lately with my supervisor, uh, which I've always wanted to do. And so we're editing those now. Um, But it is a really fine line. I think what you're talking about, about like, how do we be truly authentic like how do we live in that moment and come together and make this this feels authentic for me being with you I'm enjoying this right there's something I feel my heart these days when it feels more real I physically feel it and so I feel Mm. that when I'm here with you Mm. and I like being in those spaces um but yeah it's it really is a process and even for me learning as I go along and learning in front of people I love people. I love doing stuff with other people. So maybe I need a conversation partner and I'm trying to find those people. So anyhow, it's, it's hard when there, when there is this image in the world that people also expect us to uphold and we collude with that. Um, but yeah, I like what you're saying about like, you know, we just have to, again, just one day at a time, figure it out. Right. Of like, Mm -hmm. does this feel like what you want to say? And do you want to say it this way? Or maybe your podcast the other one will just stop who knows right Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how about some questions from the from the folks? Katie has a question. Katie, would you like to come on to screen to ask the question? I love this technology. It's so good. Yeah, I can ask. Hi. Hi. I just had a question for number seven. You said um, for number seven, you ask your higher power to remove your shortcomings. So how would you ask and how do they actually remove the shortcomings? And then um, my other question is, where do you find a group? So you said get a sponsor, like where would you find a sponsor? Those are great questions. Thanks, Katie. Um, So in the original 12 steps of AA, you can Google the seventh step prayer. And if you have a more traditional understanding of God, um, as a being, as an entity, as source, as creator, however you define that, the prayer will make sense. Um, and then you just ask. And I think, how does that happen? We leave that up to our higher power. However, those are going to be removed uh, in a process. It's a trusting process. And it's like some people will do something called centering prayer. And centering prayer, one of the key ideas, as I've been told, is consent. So essentially we're consenting to a process happening in us. And so that's how I see it as our higher powers, removing those things through love and through life, just working that out in us. Um, if your higher power is the group, um, or something different than, you know, an idea of God, it might be a little harder to say the prayer, but you just have to imagine again, that idea of group of drunks or your higher power is the group. And it's just this trusting that it's going to just work out in you as it's meant to work out, but it's not your problem anymore. You're just surrendering to the process. Um, And then as far as finding a group, I often say to try to identify what is your addiction of choice. You know, for me, I was saying food. So then Overeaters Anonymous is great. If you, if people are compulsive overeaters or restrictors, if codependency is a thing, like if you tend to be drawn to people with problems and you try to help them a lot, CODA is a wonderful group. Um, if it's porn, uh, there's a Porn Addicts Anonymous or a Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, if you tend to be drawn into relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable, which is like ding, 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 one of mine, um, then uh, Love Addicts Anonymous is great. So it is really- there a religion anonymous <laughs> no but you can start one <laughs> should we start a religion anonymous <laughs> somebody That's should start it and do drawn, a zoom no that would be if you're drawn to religion and you love religion and you can't stop religion Are, yes. is that you is that no, you no, uh, oh. no no not anymore <laughs> okay <laughs> well, you already overcame it you don't but even I'm need the group in the, in the liturgists that exists i'm sure okay yeah, it's like if you love it, it's like if you can't get addiction enough to of religion. It. Yeah, yeah. I I keep saying I'm going to start twelve step for twelve step because I'm yeah, addicted exactly. to twelve step. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, but yeah, I would say that would be great. Or if people don't have identifiable addictions, um, the communities I lead are called Q faith communities. So, um, it's the letter Q for questioning, and then faith community.com and uh, we meet online twice a week. So anybody, any of the listeners are welcome so like, to come. Like Q anonymous, like Q. no. Oh my gosh, I know. I I'm Canadian, so I don't know all this crazy stuff you guys have in the United States. To be honest, and somebody was like in our group, like there's Americans in our group, and they're like, oh, we really need to rethink the name. I even asked Pete that. I was like, Pete, do you think the name is bad? He's like, no, it's fine. And I was like, He's okay, not American, just checking. <laughs> 
true. Maybe I don't know anything about that. But yeah, whatever. It's, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Michael does not have the time to worry about the name of our group. I'm just saying it wouldn't offend me. I, but maybe I'm not the target audience. Yeah, exactly. It does stand for questioning, though. Just so you know, so you can read our value statement online. And a big thing when we started was like just not pretending we have all the answers. You know, it's a safe place to bring our questions. Not whatever the other group's about. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Kayanne said, denial is not just a river in Egypt, Mike. <laughs> true. <laughs> I don't... It's true. Um, okay, Kayanne also said, I'm trying to set down the need to evangelize, but reaching out is a good thing. I just reached out to some people today and got a big yes. We're deconstructing right now because our daughter is gay. Yeah, can I say so, something about that? One other thing about uh, the 12th step and carrying the message. So another thing I found really interesting because of my Christian background is this idea of when people carried the message, first of all, they would go to alcoholics and they would try to um, tell them the good news. Okay, like I, I used to drink, but now I've had a spiritual awakening. It's amazing, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't work. Okay, the mm. alcoholic didn't want to hear it. Okay, so good news doesn't work. Then they tried, this is a progressive disease. It's an illness. It's going to kill you. Terrible things are going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Did not work. The carrying the message that way didn't work. The third way they tried is being very, very honest about what they did while they were drinking hmm. and their drinking career and actually being honest about their real journey. Interesting. Now it's like, okay, now I'm listening. Yeah. So I started to think about that in terms of how we carry the message as Christians. And it was always either this is the good news or, you know, you're going to hell or something mm. like that. And so this third way of um, actually sharing what life was like before finding these teachings, before having spiritual awakening, and then what, what life was like after. Yeah. The only time I ever heard people carry the message like that in church, do you want to know when it was? testimony you time. got it at a baptism at yeah. a baptism right and so i remember being at baptisms and even though people were new christians it was a time when everybody would be quiet and our hearts would open because we would see somebody being authentic and real and like crying and not being afraid to be vulnerable and really sharing like this is the actual change that happened in my life as a result of this and this is what it really was like before and we just don't hear that very often as Christians so I just you know often with my friends about evangelism I just encourage them and go well, like why don't you tell people what your life is like without this like do you know what it would be like without this etc or what was it like before um, because when I don't practice when I get away from all of this I can tell you what my life looks like like it's not great right and I can be pretty honest about that um, so those are the things that I think you know would be a better way to maybe carry the message are you trying to carry a Christian message to me <laughs> I think we're really good at sharing what life looks like when we get away from this stuff and we get, you know, really got an ego, but I don't know. I just, I, that isn't as common. I wouldn't say, right. Like, would you say that a lot of Christians are like, well, when I'm not practicing this, I'm, you know, really hooked on porn and I, you know, scream at my kids and I tend to like mm. beat myself up with no. shame yeah, like right. seven hours a day and I feel despair and... Okay. Okay, is the is the purpose of carrying message for them or for you? It they would say both actually. Both. They would say okay. both. Do you have a, a primary purpose?
purpose? Well, they say it's a selfish program. So probably for yourself, yeah. just to tell the truth. See that then I'm okay with it. Okay. <laughs> I definitely feel like I'm on trial. The 12 steps are on trial. There's totally no doubt about trial. it. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> say more about that though. I'm interested. Like why, tell me why that's better for you if it is for yourself more than, cause then it's not as codependent. Like you're not trying to because I, th- I think or manipulative because then I'm conscious of, um, it's, I think it's, easier to be unconscious about what you're doing and getting for yourself than it is if that's helping somebody else. It's really easy for me to notice if something I'm doing is helping somebody else Mm -hmm. and that makes me feel good about myself, but it's a little more uncomfortable to go. If I don't speak the truth, um, this is what happens in me. And like, for me, I need to do this. It it just feels more honest. It feels Mm. more, um, because the, the selfish, the desire and what we get out of the desire is, is what guides everything. That's what guides the most charitable acts of like, I want to create space for you to be who you are. If I, if I don't see, I feel good in doing that, then I, then I'm now righteous. Now I'm the, the savior who's, who's giving myself for you and oh aren't I amazing okay but okay but help me understand this part because this I'm super curious about is okay so that 2016 experience you were saying right if you were to carry the message about that to me and carrying the message would mean that you would be really honest with me about what you were like before that happened like you know your darkest stuff who you were the parts that you were talking about like wanting attention or whatever that was um but then this happened for you in 2016 and it was amazing would it be bad if you just wanted to share it for me so that maybe I could have the chance to have that not bad, freedom, but not bad, not bad, just less honest in your but opinion. What, what, what would I be missing? What would I be unconscious of if I didn't see, if I didn't think that I would get pleasure from helping you? Okay. So as long as you admit that you get pleasure from it, not even admit, like just see it. If I see it, if I see, wow, it would be really, I would feel, it would feel so enjoyable to help you. If I feel that, I think I'll help you better. Okay. Than if I just see you as in the same way, like having sex. If, if you make love to someone in a way that's like, you're also experiencing the joy of it. And you're not just, if you're just a servant to them sexually and you're not, (laughs) if you're not like, I don't know if I've ever just been a servant. Right. (laughs) Okay. But that means, it who wants to have that that's then it's a an interact and then it's like a that would be like prostitution in a way right, right. If, if it's not making love right if you're just on one side of the giving i equation, totally see what you're saying so with evangelism there's a lot of times where people don't see either this makes me really happy or this also is for myself or something so that's just the part you're getting at as long as people can see. Yeah. Like when I'm telling you about a movie that I love, I'm not telling you so that the only, so that the, that movie company makes more money and, and ups the, and, and so that you like, I'm enjoying telling you about it. And that's actually, if I'm not enjoying telling you about it, you're not going to believe me to be like, are you a salesperson for this movie? (laughs) Right? Like, 
I'm telling you about this because I'm enjoying sharing what I love and what's helping me and what's, and we're connecting. I'm looking for the connection and the, as I'm trying to help you and trying to serve you, I'm, I'm part of that flow. And if I'm not, it's weird. Yeah. And so I think we often, um, and ineffective. And I think we often, when we're talking about concepts like evangelism, which will which is a very triggering concept for a lot of our audience, probably Uh, triggering because it does become a dehumanizing, objectifying, like sales interaction. Yeah, totally. With people because where it's about me saving them. Mm -hmm. And then I get the, rather than about me connecting with someone and sharing my deepest conviction in life with them. Yeah. And it's sad to me that something so beautiful can be so twisted, right? Because when I think about, these early AAs and, and really that they got to be with other people suffering in the hospital that had no hope. And all of a sudden they had a way that they had become free and all they wanted was to connect with another, but not only that they wanted to, but that it was the one thing that they say that it works when everything else fails, you know, when all these other 11 steps fail, the 12 step works. It's really beautiful to think of one person's pain and you know, struggle helping another person. So it's kind of sad that somehow it gets twisted into, you know, now I'm the savior. I'm here to help you and you're welcome, you know, or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Okay. Okay. 12 step approved. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions before we wrap this baby up? Um, TJ said on a similar note, I resonated with what Michael said about the good special boy feeling, the urge to share things or fix people. I've set that urge down for the most part, but now I'm just constantly second guessing when, how much to share my thoughts on things in an effort to create more connection, acceptance, and love for all, especially as a white cis male. But I've often seen good come about when I share. So I'd love to know how each of you balance those things moments. Mm, That's a great question. Do you have any response to it? Yeah, for me, um, I do try to stay in the moment. So if I think about that as a, as a big problem or as a big question in an ongoing way, it would probably overwhelm me. Mm. Um, but just staying in today, I think that, um, again, it's about trying to be real and authentic and I listen, I have like a little prompting sometimes where it's like this thought will kind of keep coming to me and I, And then I will often ask the other person, you know, do you mind if I share something or I'm not sure if this would be helpful if it's not what have you. Um, And yeah, I, I do think that it depends on who I'm with as well. Sometimes I need to just listen and, um, and be aware that uh, I can learn to tolerate others pain as well and just presence that without needing to jump in and fix. So I do feel those little urges to fix is like, Oh, that's my codependency. And, um, this is really their side of the street and, and it is not mine to be, um, playing or fiddling around with or anything like that. So I would say that I err on the side of saying less. And then if that thought keeps coming up, then eventually I won't hold it back strictly to be like, okay, I'm not going to be codependent. Then Then I'll actually say, Hey, what about this? Like when I said to you, tell me why I'm boring to you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I was really prompted to say that. <laughs> and so I thought, and then look, it would turn out to be it helpful. It turned out to be great. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I, 
It, it reminds me to go Christian on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of that. Um, who has it? Somebody's like, when you're, when you're before people like judges or something like let the spirit speak. Remember which verse I'm talking about? Um, there's something I have experienced in spaces where um, there could be a pressure that I could try to say something that would fix them. And if I'm silent and if I'm connected and dropped into my own body um, and, and aware of what would be a fear or what would be, is there anything that I'd be resisting? And if I'm just surrendered into the moment fully, the conversation can flow into places that could just based on the words be like, well, you're trying to fix them. But if it's coming from a place where it's really not internally, Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be very fruitful. Like things can be said that can be confronting or that can call someone to think better about something or to, to live in a higher place uh, in their lives in some area. But if that's done from a place that it's, it's like spirit speaking and not your ego's fear and projection onto them. And I, you're, you seem uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable with you being uncomfortable. So I need to fix that. If it's not coming from that, but just pure presence and you actually can let go and just leave room for their pain, their discomfort and, and, and them being perfect as they are in this moment. Now there's actually space for things to be said that could, because it's not coming from, from a projected unconsciousness. It's coming from actually love. It's actually coming from connection and presence. And now there's the possibility of change. Now there's the possibility of, of, of conflict and confrontation and, um, that is actually fruitful. And so I don't think we can even always judge that. Like you said something that could be challenging to someone else. So you're trying to fix them. Um, I think it's more something to own for me of like, am I coming from a place when I'm in a conversation, I'm trying to share my truth or my carry my messages. Um, is that coming from a place of my discomfort with who they are? (laughs) Or is it coming from a place of connection and place of groundedness and presence? And I can, I think I can trust the latter better. I think the words that come out have better fruit. Yes. And I love that idea about, um, what do you think about the person in front of you? Like, are you comfortable with them as they are without needing them to change? Because I would say that's something I've experienced with you. I've never felt like you wanted to change me Mm. and I don't want to change you. And so when that's very true, then whatever we happen to say is just something we happen to say. And it just, it goes somewhere it doesn't. But I think when I'm really attached to the outcome, either, you know, with a client or, uh, with the person I'm seeing that I'm in love with, if I'm attached to the outcome and I really want them to be different, that's, then I'm in trouble. Right. Yeah. And we've both, we've had some conversations that were a little more intense before you and I, but I loved that too. It didn't feel like we were trying to fix each other. Like here's a little thing to talk about. And it, could have easily turned into projection or into, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but I've, I've loved that about being your friend too. Like, I feel like we can talk about whatever. Yeah. And there's some, there is some kind of radical acceptance of like, who is this creature in front of me and what are they feeling? And it's all okay. Like whatever that is. Yeah. (laughs) Love that. Fun. Fun. (laughs) 